This podcast is supported by Red Energy, powered by the mighty Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Red is a hundred percent Australian owned and local. Phone one three one eight zero six. Why does Gladys Berejiklian need these knights in shining armour? It reads like a Jane Austen novel. Poor woman, the hard worker, the single woman who has finally found love, falls in love with the dodgy chap, you know, has to break it up. I'm grumpy about Chadston. I'm so grumpy about that Chadston outbreak. Chadston, which became Kilmore, which became Shepparton. Oh, it's just devastating. Yes, he is guilty of this virus being out of control, of oh, so many Americans losing their lives. He's an utter it's disgrace. A, it is appalling. And while I'm on the subject... What's Melania? Chop liver? Like, how's she going? Is she all right? I thought she had Melania. Melania. I thought she had coronavirus as well. She did. Why haven't we had a report on Melania? A shout out to the customer the other day who sent me an email saying they were looking for a jigsaw puzzle for a 90-something-year-old relative. Absolutely up for the thousand pieces. So, like, you know, maybe in my 90s I'll be able to conquer it. My crush is Chris Fagan. You've had a thing about him all year. Oh, I love Chris Fagan. I mean, I just think he's done such a great job Brisbane. What an inspired choice he was. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Thanks to Red Energy, 100% Australian electricity and gas. And welcome everybody to Don't Shoot the Messenger. Corey Perkin, we are up to episode 147. Aging by the minute, Caro. Approaching 150th. I can't believe it. What a week it has been. A week of Let's be honest, it's a little bit disappointing. Things oh. haven't been fantastic in Melbourne or, in fact, Victoria. I know you're the person who's grumpy this week, but I tell you what, I'm grumpy about Chadston. I'm so grumpy about that Chadston outbreak. Chadston, which became Kilmore, which became Shepparton. Which became Bairnsdale. Oh, it's just devastating. Anyway, more about that in a moment. But, Corrie, you've got some very nice correspondence. Uh, Caro, thank you to all our potties who continue to write letters, good, bad and uh Favourable and sometimes not so favourable. So thank you. We appreciate it all. This one is from Melissa Harris on Facebook who said, Hi, ladies. Just wanted to let you know how much I enjoy and connect with your podcast. Have watched nearly every episode of Footy Classified and I can't believe I only discovered you a couple of months ago. I imagine, Carrie, she means the podcast. Um, I connect with your love of all things British and the footy, of course. As I work away at home, I am now listening to your older shows and it saddens me that back in June you were talking, quote, only two more weeks until we're out of lockdown and the plans you were making. I'm in Ballarat, so it's a much more fortunate position, but thinking of you. Thank you for your little podcast. It's been a highlight every time I listen and I look forward to many more. Take care, Melissa. And she said, P.S., one of my many highlights of attending the 2017 Grand Final was seeing Caro live at the 3AW broadcast. And then oh. to top it off, the Tigers won. What a day. That was a happy day. Caro, tell me, will you be doing a live broadcast at the MCG with no one there this Well, what Grand do Final? you think? Think it'll be me and Mike Brady, do you? <laughs> no, it, I won't be there. We're actually doing a pregame show in the studio at 3AW. Oh, don't tell me, you'll be, be going over the old um, which Grand be... Finals we've loved again. <laughs> well, I'm, no, I'm not confident the Tigers are going to be there this year, but they're still in with a chance as we sit here today, Corrie. Um, Lulu, Stroud, Stroud underscore Lulu on Insta is disappointed that we haven't mentioned uh, netballers. So one thing, and you know, we can't talk about everything, Lulu, but you're right, go the Vixens this weekend. Yeah, and Lulu does say, remember the sisterhood. I'm with you, Lulu. I actually, I find 
the coverage on ABC television terrific, particularly Sunday nights, and I've really become engaged. So naughty us for not mentioning it. Offside is a big supporter. That a show I do occasionally on the ABC is a big supporter of netball. And Leanne Allen loves the show and agrees with us about Daisy Pierce and her special commentary. She also likes Luke Hodge and wants to add Job Watson, who hasn't so far, she says, ascribed to the boys' club. I just want a bit more from Job. Want a bit more insight. I think Daisy's got him um, playing him on a break at the moment, but you know he can get better. And a few people had. Um, opinions about Clem and her street parties where she lives. Um, Sue Burgess thought it was a little bit thoughtless for the people living around her. I'd just like to say in sticking up for my daughter and her street parties on the balcony, it is only for one or two hours, one night a week. So I think I'd like to make that point. Sarah Ollie, on the other hand, Sarah underscore Ollie underscore, loved um, Clem, the sound of Clem's house parties. And um, Catherine Elliott Corrie says, being a Libran, they're not in her DNA either. Miss Jane's a Libran. Mm. Jane, do you like puzzles? I love the idea of a puzzle. <laughs> and then it just goes all Look, wrong my, from there. <laughs> most of us do like the idea of a puzzle. But when you get home and you open that bag and you see the thousand pieces, it's incredibly overwhelming. I know, look, I know I mentioned star signs and it must be in an Aries DNA not to like puzzles. But, Cara, since I said that on the podcast, you would be amazed how many of my Aries friends have said, right back at your sister. Guilty, and not guilty admissions. Well, Brian Taylor put puzzles back on the on the agenda, didn't he? Because he's been in lockdown in Queensland, so he can call the preliminary final and grand final. And he gave Ravensburger a big plug when they crossed to him in lockdown the other day. I've got to say, I don't think it was a particularly taxing one. I mean, I don't think it was one of your, you know, thousand, two thousand pieces with, you know, just an entire, half the puzzle being sky, well, one of those sh- ones. a shout out to the customer the other day who sent me an email saying they were looking for a jigsaw puzzle for a 90-something-year-old relative. And we wondered whether 500 pieces or th- – no, it's absolutely up for the thousand pieces. So, like, you know – Maybe in my 90s I'll be able to conquer it. Caro, lots of things for us to talk about, but what's happening with your challenge, your October challenge? Which is doing lots of work. Well, I am doing lots of work and I feel as I'm getting to the end of the line. I know a lot of people aren't working and I really feel for them, but I also feel for myself because I'm tired. I'm sick of working. Oh. No, I know that's ridiculous. I'm not really Poor sick thing. of working. I'm no, loving. This is, the, this is the pointy end of your season, and yes. it is the end of the season. So. And it's not punctuated by events and, um, you know, the chicken or the beef at um, Crown this year. So, um, boy, what about Andrew Demetrius' evidence the other? We'll talk about that in a moment. Um, and James Packer, wow, that has been a story, hasn't it? Um, my October challenge is going fine. But I did find myself um, housebound yesterday, Corrie, and I think my October challenge shouldn't have been work-related but housewife-related. You know it's time to clean out your freezer when there is a layer, a layer of peas. You cannot see the bottom of the freezer for the frozen peas that have spilled out of the packet. Oh, my God, it was so disgusting. What about you? It's one of my least favourite jobs, defrosting the fridge. Well, my challenge, of course, I still haven't been able to do it, Caro, because I've been waiting to come out of lockdown so I can walk the streets of Kew. So so I wasn't sure, as we discussed last week, should I hold on and hope that we're out of lockdown by the end of October? Well, I'm going to maintain. I'm going to maintain that positivity. So look out, 
Cotham Road. Here I come. Boy, the the good folk of Kew are just waiting with bated breath. They'll have cake stalls, you know, in their streets. Corrie, I must... Caro, a couple of friends have offered to come with me. They thought it would be rather lovely walking around the hills of Kew. Kew's beautiful. And as I said to you in my apology last week, you are allowed to walk the streets of Kew if you're delivering books. Mm. I um, did think that... I do think that the that 5K radius will change when Daniel Andrews makes his big announcement this Sunday. That would be one prediction. It's not going to be as much as we hope for and it's all a bit grim with these so-called, and I'm doing inverted commas here, which I hate it when people do it, but I'm doing it complex. Especially on radio or podcast. Sorry, well, I'm explaining it. Complex families. I mean, it's just so disappointing. Anyway, what can we do? But Caro, it, uh, it does take us into our corona lockdown uh check in how we both doing. So how have you been going this week? I don't know about you, but I have felt really flat and really angry. This is the this is the hardest week I think I've had in terms of mental health. Yep. Uh, well, I'm sorry to hear that. I have noticed a real turn in the community. You know, even pe- people who were defending the government, defending the lockdown are just now sick to death of it and just thinking, well, clearly we can't beat this, so why are we closing everything down? I mean, I, that seems to be the mentality and um, there's a lot of anger. Um, even um, I, I still I still feel if we just wait and just keep going for a few more weeks, but even I'm getting incredibly impatient. Um, I, I just am so, I thank God for my garden because that's my escape and online bridge. They're my two absolute escapes and work. So, yes, I have plenty to do, and I'm sure you do too because people are still ordering books. But, yeah, it's just there's sort of no end in sight. No, it's Christmas is suddenly tarnished and, oh, yeah. It's pretty bleak, and everybody who put things off to October and November, of course, are now having to review and even cancel them, which we wouldn't have thought back in July, toward the end of July when we knew lockdown was coming. We wouldn't have thought for a second that we would be contemplating that. I think probably Daniel Andrews has just got to get used to the idea that we're going to have to somehow live with this virus. Gosh, if ever there was a politician in need of a good news distraction story, it's him. I know. And maybe I was thinking about that in terms of strategy and perceptions and, dare I say, winning the next election. Probably this Sunday, Daniel, if you were looking for a U-turn in public opinion, this would be the time as Caro said, to release, to relieve us of that five-kilometre radius to maybe allow people to catch up a bit. Please allow retail to open, Daniel Andrews. I'm not, not confident about retail. I and think being able to visit your loved ones is something they will probably do. The big, you know, the, the, the G word, golf, um, which doesn't really affect me but affects a lot of people around me, I think that would be a great mental break for a lot of people. And I'm getting... Aren't you getting the sort of vibe from him this week? And I know Parliament's sitting that maybe there is an acceptance that we do have to do, allow people a bit Most more freedom. Definitely. Most yeah. definitely. I think he's softening us up for it, it. And look, people will say, oh, it's a backflip on his behalf. But I think probably it's not so much a backflip as an acknowledgement of we're never really going to get this thing out of our system. Look what's happened in Shepparton. Look what's happened with Chadston. The person from Chadston goes to Kilmore, eats at a cafe indoors, which they should never have done, and then the, tra- the virus is transferred to Shepparton. And as we speak, Caro, three people have tested positive. Oh, it's so selfish. And they have gone so to, selfish. and that person has gone to a number Stupid. of different places in Shepparton, including Bunnings, including a hairdresser, 
really and truly. There's a very in, there was a very interesting graphic on the news the other night on the ABC News, Caro, which used a little uh, the coronavirus little sort of pink spots, and it showed the, an actor sitting at a cafe uh, at a table, coughs into their hand, touches their cu- touches their cup and saucer, and moves on. The waiter then takes the cup and saucer away, and then it just showed a number of people about how that how that virus is. Tra- Honestly, it was one of the best graphics I have seen in this whole coronavirus, and you know how I love a, a, a graphic. Yeah. <laughs> but, it, but it really showed us and reminded us how easily this thing is transferred and how mask wearing and sanitising hands is so incredibly important. It's the other the other incredible story to me is Europe and how it is just going wild over there again. And, you know, bigger numbers now in the UK, I heard Boris say the other day than in the first wave. Um, in Amsterdam, where, as you know, my eldest daughter, Rose, is living, I think they've got, um, Netherlands have now got the biggest number per capita of any European country. And um, they're still, I mean, they're sort of encouraged to wear masks. They're only allowed to have three people visit their houses. That was just announced the other day. Rumours of a lockdown, but still allowing three people coming into the house. And Rose said um, her one of her part he, her partners a teacher, and one of Oscar's classes was cancelled the other day because five of the students came down with coronavirus. I mean, can you imagine that? Just seems to be happening every day there. It is. You look at the numbers. I look at them every day in Amsterdam itself and the Netherlands. They are going nuts, and yet. Everything's still open. And are masks mandatory? Does don't, Rose have to wear a mask? I don't think so. Don't it's think just so. amazing. Carol, I, I looked at footage of that, uh, the, the most recent Donald Trump rally in Florida, which of course is a swinging state for him. And he went down there earlier this week. What about that? What and, about that? And no masks. No masks. No masks. And then um, an interesting report that I listened to on CNN, the reporter went around and, and interviewed people in the crowd and said, if the president had said to you, wear a mask, would you put a mask back on? And nine out of the 10 people interviewed all said, oh, yes, I would. Honestly, if Donald Trump, yes, he is guilty of of this virus being out of control, of so many Americans losing their lives. It's an utter disgrace. It is appalling. And while I'm on the subject, what's Melania? Chopped liver? Like, how's she going? Have have we heard? Is she all right? (laughs) She had... I thought she had Melania. Melania. I thought she had coronavirus as well. She did. Why haven't we had a report on Melania? Well, I don't know. Maybe what's going on? There is a theory that that it's a furphy that there was no coronavirus in the White House. That was what I heard overnight, which I couldn't believe because Donald Trump did look particularly unwell and he sweated a lot during that debate, as we discussed last week. But exactly right. And what about Kellyanne Conway? What about all of them who were supposed to have picked up this virus? What's happened? Why haven't we had a report on the first lady? It is extraordinary. Yeah. So obviously, um, tough week for the Andrews government. his Chris Chris Eccles Chris Eccles has resigned. Secretary his, of Department of Premier and Cabinet, yep. arguably the most powerful bureaucrat in the state. No longer. Jenny McCarkos is still um, firing from the cheap seats now that she's gone, having a crack at him. Um, obviously, um, we're all waiting to hear what he's going to say on Sunday. And um, can we talk about you know the, what actually probably did cause a massive distraction on the day that Chris Eccles did resign? was that extraordinary story about the New South Wales Premier. Wasn't that just an absolute uh, – that just stopped me dead in my tracks. Well, 
Gladys Berejiklian has become the news story of the week nationally, I guess, unless you're a Melbourneian waiting for lockdown. And it is interesting. She's been accused of playing the victim card after refusing to resign despite this secret five-year relationship with the... Daryl Maguire. Yeah, the disgraced former minister at the heart of the corruption <laughs> scandal. It just goes from sort of bad to worse. Glad- his fo- Gladys Berejiklian... His phones and his iPad were run over by a tractor. That's why he lost his records. I mean... And also doing this dodgy deal with... Poor choice, Another, wa- another member choice. of the Waterhouse family. It's very, very odd. It's a poor choice of partner. But what's so stunning about this, Caro, is after Daryl Maguire has left politics as the state member for Wagga Wagga, after claims were founded and he was found guilty and he left due to corruption allegations... They maintained a relationship, and it was only in August, I think, this year that she told the... It was only a month ago. Yeah, the ARCAC inquiry that she broke it up. Now, she's obviously broken it up because the heat's on and she's appearing before the Commission Against Corruption. Does that mean that she still has feelings for him? Has she been heartbroken through all this time? A lot of women in particular in Australia are wondering this, and there's a lot of sentiment for Gladys, but my concern is that... If she knew, if there have been deals done, if she has been compromised and if it's proven that she's been compromised through her relationship and that he has benefited financially from his relationship with her, she has to go. I'm not sure that she has, though. I mean, I'm, I'm from what i Well, I've we can been... only take her... We'll find out today when Maguire takes the stand. Yes. We're recording this on Wednesday, Potty, so everything could have evolved. Look, I think that she... You know, clearly it, it's a shock because she seems like the most straight-laced stickler for process, you know, process-driven Premier really, doesn't she? And so in terms of her brand, I mean, clearly, I, I hate that word, but, you know, her brand has been damaged to adopt a, a new cliché. Um, but all the calls and all the tape recordings seem to be him ringing her for favours and her saying, you have to go through the department, you have to do this, you have to do that. But it does, um, it did make me revisit Barry O'Farrell, who resigned over that um, $3,000 mm, bottle of Grange bottle Hermitage, of which he couldn't remember getting, but then the thank you letter emerged. So, I mean, that is that in a way is sort of worse because he had a complete memory lapse. I don't think she ever lied about this relationship. It's just that it was... She, it, she hasn't told anybody. She didn't no. even tell her family that she was going out with this no. man. And I notice Alan Jones is um, gathering signatures um, for a petition to keep her in power, which I think is really interesting. Well, he still has the most ridiculous amount of influence. Of power. Caro, yeah. I, I, I'm sort of concerned. If, if the feminist in me had a bit of a mm, curious moment the other morning when I heard Malcolm Turnbull jump on ABC Radio and defend Gladys. And I thought, why does Gladys Berejiklian need these knights in shining armour? The Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, last night when he was asked about it, which is valid, asked the Prime Minister about what's happening to a state premier. But he had this kind of soft, gentle, oh, poor Gladys, you know. I mean, Unlucky in love. Yeah, unlucky in love. <laughs> Listen, she can swim and she'll weather this. And if it was a male premier who was dating a woman who, or a man, you know, but date in a relationship with somebody who had compromised him or her, um, would we be, would we be, would we have that same response? Which is, now a friend of mine in Sydney said it reads like a Jane Austen novel. The poor woman, the hard worker, the single woman who has finally found love, can, you know, falls in love with the dodgy chap, you know, has to break it up. 
stuck with him because she was worried that he might do something drastic. Yeah, look, it's all a bit. Uh, but uh, but why do we talk about it in terms of a Jane Austen novel? It's just like this is this if this is corruption, you know, and if this is compromise, then we all need to know about it. It's a really interesting news story, and it has taken the heat off Daniel Andrews, as you see. So so that's one news story, and of course we're going to at some point get the results into the quarantine inquiry. But this New South Wales inquiry into Crown trying to get the license to run yet another casino in New South Wales. So James Packer's evidence, it, it's just absolutely, I mean, even he sort of said, no, look, he probably shouldn't be where he is and he shouldn't have the, um, he shouldn't have the license because he's not, he's almost saying he's not fit, mm. admitted to the bipolar disorder that we've all been hearing about, obviously not so much about, you know, the stories of substance abuse, et cetera. But then Andrew Dimitriou, the Crown director, who's, you know, was a former long-time CEO of the AFL, who's well known to us both. It was just so he was hammered over the last two. Uh, he was hammered yesterday well, he because was, he was reading notes. Well, you're not allowed to when you're no, in a, when you're not allowed to. So he notes. was looking. So this is the interesting thing about Zoom, and I spoke to a legal friend of mine yesterday about how 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 court cases and mediations happening in Zoom, because this is so interesting that there's Andrew Demetrio giving evidence live. And then he's asked, are you reading your notes? <laughs> Which, of course, you're not allowed to do. You're not allowed to have somebody in the room with you. You're not allowed to read notes. You're not allowed to receive messages from people. Um, which is, is possibly what was also happening with Andrew Demetrio. I'm not sure. But there are chat rooms, of course, that you can have when you're in a Zoom meeting. But the, what, is, what my legal friend said, you know, it's so interesting. The Zoom concept has really um, sharpened the focus of courts, less time travelling, less time in courts, more people could actually join a court case. For students of law, this is a fantastic thing. They can jump on board and witness something extraordinary that's happening in, in real time rather than having to schlep to the county or the Supreme Court. So it's become efficient in many ways. But as my legal friend said, um, it, you, you're missing the nuances of, of personal eye contact and uh, physical presence. And I just wonder whether Andrew Demetrio might have been a little less assured if he had been in a room with no notes and no computer. Well, it's the most it's the most hammered I've ever seen him, and he's someone who's handled himself in press conference situations better than anyone I've well, ever the commissioner, seen. Well, the commissioner, Patricia Bergen, said, oh, Mr Demetrio, why did you do it? And he's also admitted that he, he, he should have spoken up when shareholders were given misleading information. He's... Um, records of um, a letter to um, James Packer where he said, you know, you're the one I'm most concerned about when it should have been the shareholders. Obviously, this is um, all of this is very interesting in the context of the story Nick McKenzie broke last year in The Age and the Sydney Morning Herald about these junkets and um, some of the people, some of the people from China who were being involved in these trips to Crown. So, look, it, it, that, that is going to unfold. But, yeah, it hasn't gone all that well for the Crown directors well. who have been exposed as, you know, some very big names on that board. And they haven't exactly covered themselves in glory. And it is big news when James Packer says to an inquiry that he has been suffering from mental health issues. To, well, it, it's hard to see where he comes back from here. Talk about the dismantling of the Packer industry. Um, and Footy. And, Shall we talk about footy? Well, footy, very quickly, it, two, two interesting. One more thing on people being sprung. I, I heard on the radio earlier this morning that um, Will Fowles, state MP, stood up in Parliament yesterday and made this wonderful speech about 
coronavirus and thanking the people in the front line, the health workers, but somebody noticed that it sounded very familiar and they'd heard similar stuff on the West Wing <laughs> some years ago, which I thought was funny. Um, the AFL, The AFL has finally severed its links with Rio Tinto after some of the pretty disgraceful stuff that they were doing over in West Australia in terms of sacred Aboriginal Indigenous land. Um, so that's good. That's um, going to cost the AFL who sponsor their, a lot of their Indigenous programs about $1.5 million. And it's preliminary final weekend, which is one of the great weekends of the year, Corrie. It is indeed. So let's just look back to last weekend, Carol. Were you surprised at the results that they were so comprehensive? I don't think Richmond St Kilda was that comprehensive. I mean, St Kilda was still sort of pushing away in the last quarter, although you never felt... I didn't feel I had the ascendancy at all. The other game, I mean, Collingwood, it's, you know, the ramifications for that club, you know, big finals defeats like that where Geelong just slaughtered them. I mean, there were goals in junk time, but really one goal by half time. Scott Pendlebury, the, the brilliant captain, starting on the bench in the second quarter. Mason Cox, after you know being so impressive the week before, doing absolutely nothing. Jordan Degoe trying to hold the club to ransom, or his father is, who's now managing him, trying to get this huge deal. It sounds like he might have missed the boat. So co- coach Nathan Buckley, I think, has one more year on his contract? Yep, and they've gone from a grand final to a preliminary final to a semi-final in the last three years. They finished eighth. So, you know, they they had a wonderful win over West Coast. Can't take that away from them. They had a lot of problems this year, not least steel side bottom being suspended. He was, of course, seen um, wandering around half naked around the streets of Williamstown and then picked up in a divvy van. He was suspended. Then he left the hub to go to be with his partner to have their baby, which a few players have done. Look, I, I think um, I think Nathan Buckley does go into next year under a bit of pressure. I don't think he's going to get the sack, but I do think he, and he's not the coach most under pressure, but he will be under pressure. And um, I just feel sitting here today that it's going to be Port Adelaide, Brisbane. I just feel that it's the oh, two teams who have been playing at home and who will play their preliminary finals at home this weekend mm. in front of home crowds. I don't know. You know I hope I'm wrong. I must say Geelong looked terrific on the weekend. But it's hard you to never know. know with Geelong. Well, it's hard to know with what they really beat. But, yeah, mm-hmm. everything seemed to click and they, they were wonderful. And Pat, Patrick Dangerfield is one story. And the other big story is more and more sort of um, disturbing and, you know, really toxic reports coming out about some of the behaviour in the hubs, some of the um, player poor player relations, um, poor club discipline. Um, obviously, Essendon is one where they've had some real problems, North Melbourne, shocking problems, you know, fallouts at hubs, etc. Melbourne too didn't have a great great season. So these stories are going to come out more and more and it's going to be really interesting as as will the negotiation about the players revised CBA, which they will do. I don't think they'll take the massive cuts the rest of the industry has and neither should that should they because Gee, it's been tough for them. I know I know it's been tough much tougher for other people, but they have put on a brilliant show for us. Uh, I can't wait for the grand final. I'm very excited. I'm very excited about starting my afternoon with the Cox Plate. You know how I love a bit of a bet and then moving into it. But tell me about – well, actually, let's talk about grand final entertainment a little bit later on. Let's, Corrie. In the meantime, look, I do have a football-related crush. I hope you don't mind. It's not Damien Hardwick, even though he's a wonderful coach. My crush is Chris Fagan. 
He he is reinvented. You've had a thing about him. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love Chris Fagan. I mean, I just think he's done such a great job at Brisbane. What an inspired choice he was by that club, the Brisbane Lions CEO, Greg Swan, who took over that club when it was on its knees. Gillan McLaughlin, I think one of the first things he did, he did two things when he became AFL CEO. He put a cafe in the front of AFL headquarters, which he reckons has made it a much more, you know, a much more soul-filled place to be. And he sacked the CEO of the Brisbane Lions. So, um, and, and, you know, immediately that club started to rebuild. It did take a few years. Chris Fagan has reinvented coaching. He became a coach finally at the age of 55. I still maintain, Corey, your club has missed him ever since he left. Mm. He was footy. He, he I, went, I agree with you, Caro, on that one. Went in as director of coaching, ended up being head of football. Neil Danaher still says all of the success he had at Melbourne was equally due to Chris Fagan as much as it was to him. And you watch this now late 50-year-old man wandering around, putting his arm around his players. They clearly adore him. He admits that, you know, tactically he's got a really good coaching team underneath him. He sits on the bench, plays to his one wood, which is relationships. And now they're in their second, they finished in the top four two years in a row, obviously bowed out in straight sets last year. I just love what he's doing for footy. And he does a good media conference too. Well, that's, yeah, he's, he's just so interesting. Mm. And he's so, I mean, you see him, you know, lose the plot occasionally, but people like him and Brett Ratton and Ken Hinckley bear testimony to how, you know, second time around or people getting chances finally to coach are just doing a fantastic job. So. And then there are other coaches. So next week, a question on notice for next week, Carol, I would like to talk to you. You mentioned before um, about coaches under pressure. There are more coaches under pressure than Nathan Buckley. Let's talk about that next week. But now, of course, we have Book, Screen and Food, BSF, and we would like to thank Red Energy, 100% Australian electricity and gas for powering our podcast. And they do such a fine job powering us up every time we do this, Caro. So you have a book, away you go. We do. And I'm really looking forward to talking about the film, the last film we both saw in that brief window when cinemas were open back in June. But first of all, yep, look, I've got to be honest, I've nearly finished it. I'm really enjoying it. It's called Too Much Lip. It's by Melissa Lukashenko. Is that how I pronounce Correct. it? Correct. She wrote a book called Indigenous Mullum, writer. Yeah, she wrote a book called Mullumbimbi. I think she was a was she shortlisted for the State Premier's Awards or did oh, she, she win won, it? She won the Miles Franklin last year. For was that for Mullumbimbi? No, that was for Too, for much, too much Lip. Mm. Look, I'm okay. loving this. Book. Don't don't feel you have to do your research. I'll help you on that one. Well, I don't. You know, I don't feel I need to know the literary rewards awards. I just have to read the book. Have you read this book? No, but uh, our dear friend Anna, Anna from the Op Shop, had. I think it was Anna who told me about this book. Someone I who's who, someone with whom I share a literary. Feel yep. said well, to me, you've got to read this book. Well, Anna lent it to me and I never started it, so she took it back and she had to return <laughs> it to the library. And now um, my son's um, partner, Zoe, has lent it to me and I am loving it. This is a family saga, a brutal family saga. Largely, um, there's flashbacks to the 1940s um, and a young Aboriginal lad heading into the big city. It is quite traumatic what happens. But Melissa has a way of writing that just keeps you occasionally smiling and laughing. He has a way of making light of the most horrific situations. And it is just a great family saga, largely set in the New South Wales Northern Rivers, which is a beautiful part of the world, somewhere I'm desperate to get back to, um, Yamba and you know places like that. It is just um, a wonderful, wonderful story. It, it's very upsetting 
and it's got so many twists and turns and I just urge everyone to read this book, Too Much Lip. It starts off, well, it doesn't start off with this, but a stranger rides into town, into oh, the New South Wales. That, on, old, that, that old storyline. He's, he's a woman. She's there for a funeral. She's on a Harley Davidson that we suspect has been stolen. She's only there for one day, but, of course, she stays for a lot longer. And mm. what happens is quite unbelievable. It's a great book. It's sort of a mystery, thriller historical saga. No, really, really enjoyed it. Too much lip. Corrie, we both saw separately, I sat, I watched it on my own, one of the happiest days I've had since coronavirus hit the world, um, Love, Sarah. Oh, you watched it twice? No, no, no. We both oh, watched we it. Oh, we did. Yeah, yeah, sorry. We both saw it. We saw it separately without realising. No, we did. We Didn't we go together but no, se- separately apart? No, you went with Anna from the op shop. Oh, did I? I, I saw it on my own. Oh, okay. Sorry. Um, <laughs> it's so long ago since we went to the movies. I remember we were sitting apart. Um, Caro, Love, Sarah, which is now on Prime, I understand. Is which is why we're finally allowed to talk about it. It's got that wonderful Celia Imry in it. Celia Imry, who we remember as the saucy minx from... Best Exotic Marigold Hotel, That's one of it. my favourite films. Look, Love, Sarah, is the, is, the premise is this. There's a pastry chef, chef called Sarah. Um, she, I'm not going to give anything away here because it happens pretty quickly, but she dies and she's about to open a bakery in Notting Hill with her best friend, uh, who's played by Shelley Conn, who we recently saw in The Deceived, actually, a terrific uh, British oh, actress. that's right. That's where I've seen her. She's and Isabella. She yeah, plays Isabella. That's yeah. right. And she's 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 not only beautiful, but she's a terrific actor. And uh, so their dreams are dashed. Uh, Sarah also has a daughter from a previous relationship, and the daughter and the mother, who's played by Celia Imrie, Mimi, the the three of them. This is the story of the three women who try and pick up the pieces after a significant person in their lives has. Uh, has died. And I love that angle of this story. When you introduce the hunky, slightly drunken, womanising chef, (laughs) Matthew, played by Clive Reader, who we remember in Silk, then for me it started to fall apart a little bit. I thought it was Rupert Penry Jones. Yeah, but Rupert Penry, but he plays Clive Reader in Silk. Oh, yes, right. And he was in Wimbledon too, which was, yeah. So, and when he arrives, he sort of, he, he, he changes the dynamic of the threesome and says, look, I'll come and help you, you know, get this bakery up and running. And then things just become a little bit twee for me. But honestly, when we saw it back in June or whenever we were allowed to see it, it was the perfect tonic for these difficult times. It, yeah, it, um, they thank Otto Lenghi at the end and obviously um, there's a huge Otto Lenghi sort of theme in it. And it's um, you're right. It's a it's not a great film. It's a bit. Some of the plot lines don't go far enough. It could have been a lot better written. The the feud that between mother and daughter, um, obviously, which was never resolved before um, the daughter Sarah was killed, is sort of a good angle that I thought could have been better. Mm. Um, the the parenthood question about who who is the father of Sarah's daughter is also interesting, but could go a bit further. But look. It's a good, light, 
lovely film. It's set in Notting Hill. What's well, not to like? And Bill Patterson, that yeah. lovely Scottish <laughs> actor who turns is he Scottish? I don't know. He's who turns up hilarious. at some point as a love interest for Celia. He's fantastic. Love him. Carol, it is perfect if you're missing London. I, you know, I'm not a I'm not a sort of Londonophile. I've only been a couple of times, but if people have lived in London at any point or they've visited it regularly, this is this will make you totally travel sick, homesick for London. It's it's a really beautiful, beautifully photographed book, and some of the food. Film. I do understand film. Sorry, film. Um, some of the uh, oh, if you love cakes and yeah, tarts, and, and I understand sweet the Otterlingi team were actually responsible for doing the cooking there. So oh, it's yeah, incredible. Speaking of food, I have a food experience for you, Cara. Last weekend, last Saturday night, as a treat, because there have been so few in the last few weeks, uh, we received a little parcel of food from Tables by Jake. Tablesbyjake.com.au. Uh, you can have a look at that on your Instagram, Caro. Tables by Jake is actually the new initiative of my uh, niece, Lily, who is married to Jake Scannell. Who, and Jake is a fabulous chef. He's worked at Bakash Ezard's, the Jackalope Hotel. And he and Lily decided during this tough and difficult time for the catering industry and um, hospitality industry that they would start their own business, Caro, and it's called Tables by Jake. And... They do a raft of things. You can have Jake come and be your private chef for your own dinner party. They do home deliveries of food. Jake runs cooking classes, or he will, of course, when we're out of lockdown. So is this a recipe or an unashamed family plug? (laughs) Both. (laughs) I'm getting to the recipe. It is at the moment. It is an unashamed family plug. But anyway, this beautiful meal arrived, three courses, and uh, main course was a beautiful lamb dish with spring vegetables and Oh, my goodness gracious, Caro. The pudding was banana and butterscotch pudding with the most beautiful Yum. vanilla cream. It was delicious. But I want to talk about the entree in particular, the salad that went with the entree, and here comes the recipe. Because I thought, I said to Jake, look, let's keep it easy. I could have used any of these dishes, by the way, as a recipe of the week. But I'm going for, because we're coming into summer, I'm going for something that's quite easy. Miss Jane will put this up in our show notes and on our Facebook site, but it's candied walnut, blood orange, and endive salad, and it this this serves six. The recipe that we will put, and it, it was accompanied by this twice cooked three cheese souffle. Oh, you're not. We're not going to make a souffle, are we? No, no. We're going to get Jake to make the souffle. We're going to make but the salad. Caro, it took me back to sort of the eighties when. Well, I don't know about you, but when I first became a housewife and started cooking in all seriousness, I I was obsessed by trying to create the perfect souffle. And I Did think, you have a copper bowl? That's apparently the first thing you need. <laughs> no, I didn't know about the copper bowl. But I reckon the dinner parties in 1985, 86, 87, I was trying to perfect the souffle. I'll never forget my friend Dave Norton one night, which was I just served this most terrible chocolate souffle. And he went, mm, interesting flavours, which was so sweet. <laughs> but, you know, it was a disaster, let's face it. But anyway, I'm going to put this recipe for this salad. The dressing on this salad, Caro, is superb. But I just want to acknowledge the candied wool Now, the word candied does make your skin crawl a little bit, but it's basically cooking walnuts in sea salt and sugar and water in the stove. Now, you could use these candied walnuts. In the oven or in in the the, stove? Sorry, in the oven. Right. So you could use these walnuts for a raft of different things. And on our recipe, I'm going to tell everybody how to do it. So shout out to Tables by Jake. Everybody do support businesses such as Jake and Lily's and everybody else who's, who's had to pivot, to use that word, uh, over to the other side. So from working in restaurants and cafes as Jake was, they now are doing their own thing. Hats off to them and 
uh, fantastic recipe and we will put that on the show notes. Our friend um, and slave and former housekeeper and babysitter and nanny Joe Campion, who is our friend, does a great First and foremost. <laughs> does a great salad with candied walnuts. I'm pretty sure it's you, you. I think you either get cos or iceberg lettuces and cut them in half. You know that one, and mm. you you scatter it over with this beautiful creamy dressing. And I think it's chives. I'm not sure what the herb is. Well, and candied walnuts. Well, uh, Jake puts chives in this one, and there's just something about endive, isn't there? You know, it was really big in the 90s endive when it first it appeared in our scene and then it went out of favour. I'm not sure whether it was the bitterness or whatever, but Jake has... Poor perf- old endive. J- J- <laughs> what happened? <laughs> it is good with... A bit a, like when I used to have blonde hair that wasn't grey. It, it is good with a savoury souffle. I love souffles. Oh, my goodness savory. gracious. This was such a perfect meal. So thanks, Jake and Lil, and um, that's the family plug. Really worth, uh, worth that. And thank you to Red Energy, of course, for being our... Wonderful sponsors. That was BSF for Red Energy, as Corrie said. What are you grumpy about today, Corrie? I could go through my boring Telstra story, but I won't. Um, Suffice to say, anybody who's trying to ring the bookshop, do persevere. We've been waiting for three or four weeks for Telstra to fix this problem with our answering service. I am grumpy, Caro, because a number of people in my life say performance. (laughs) Oh, they don't. Who says performance? He knows who he is. (laughs) Oh, and it's not—it's not anybody I'm related to either. Why but also the other rotten? night, well, because it's performance. It's yep. so lazy. It is so lazy. If that's the thing that if that if that's the worst thing that's happened to you this week, you are having not as bad a week as you said. <laughs> Performance—that is very funny. Why is it lazy? Well, because it's you should be pro- you should be no, it? you should be pro- pronouncing it correctly. And the chap, the very nice chap who is the European correspondent for the ABC, or is it the American? Philip Williams, wherever he is in the world, he said performance the other night. I nearly died. Not on the ABC, Philip. Wow, gee, that's bad. That's bad. He, the, who does the, that nighttime show on the? Is it Philip Knight? Philip. Philip Adams. No, 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 no. Um, I think it's Philip. It was a nighttime show in the ABC anyway. Um, Nightline? Can't remember what it's called. He did a thing on the English language the other day. He had a couple of professors in. It was fascinating. I love All a good mistakes. language story, don't yep. you? Exactly. And new words that come into existence. Performance is making Corrie grumpy. Corrie, I'm going to ask you the first of six quick questions. What happened this week that made you think life is slowly moving back to normal? School kids. Oh, yes. Traffic. Well, a lot of parents refuse to let their children go on public transport for the obvious COVID reason. That's fair enough. But the traffic has been horrendous around some of the suburbs of Melbourne. I know this because I've been delivering books and all of a sudden it's a traffic jam. But there is a spring in my step to see little children in their uniforms walking home from school with mums and dads. Yay! Yeah, it is It is lovely, although the traffic is a bit of a shock to the system. Oh, the traffic's a huge shock. Caro, what's the one spring tradition you will not miss in COVID? I don't Halloween. quite understand what you... Oh. Halloween. Oh. Thank heavens people can't trick or treat this year. It is the one terrible tradition that has crept into our spring carnival psyche. That will, It should be the spring carnival, although people won't be going to the races this year, but at least they're running. Um, What's wrong with trick or treat? I mean, I I do agree with you. It's an American affectation. It's American. Have a bet on the (laughs) Melbourne Cup and don't worry about saying trick or treat. Ever since I had to clean egg white from my front door, which it seems to have morphed into, um, 
you know, more than just trick-or-treating. And it seems to be people egging your house as well if you're not there to give them biscuits or sweets. I think it's a terrible, dangerous tradition and it's not ours and I'm glad it won't be happening this year. You've you've reminded me that one year, the year that Coco did Year 12, I think she had the English exam the day after Halloween or it might have been two days, who cares? And we were in a particularly young suburb, young families, and the doorbell kept going and going and going and she... I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that she swore as a year 12, but it was like if one more flipping kid comes oh, to, She was so distracted. I, yeah, well, I succumbed with Clementine because she was the youngest and some other families in, in our neighbourhood were doing it, but never again. Corrie, uh, what's the most bizarre lockdown story you've heard this week? Um, the cats of Britain have been suffering mental health issues during lockdown. Apparently, they are spending too much time inside with their owners. <laughs> oh, cats. <laughs> that is a rid- I don't believe that. I don't believe mental health issues. <laughs> How does one research that? Oh. No, yeah. apparently, you know, cats like to have their own domain. So of course in lockdown, particularly in Britain because they were literally locked in um earlier this year and they may be again the poor sods, but the cats the dogs are in heaven and I know this because of Bruce in Ballarat. Never have there been two happier people in lockdown. Bruce, the golden retriever, and Willow, my granddaughter. Both of them love lockdown parents at home. It's fabulous. But apparently the cats and some dogs in Britain are getting highly anxious because they're used to having their own spaces. Oh, and And they have to share them. Have to share the sofa. That's very funny. (laughs) Caro, uh, best and worst grand final entertainment you've ever witnessed? Well... Yeah, it's it's Meatloaf versus Angry Anderson, you know, really one or the other. The fact that Angry Anderson was in that mobile and has become part of our popular culture is um, probably saves him. And, you know, the the thing that probably enhances Meatloaf's, um, Meatloaf's ambition to win this award is the fact that the AFL paid him half a million dollars and he couldn't sing. I mean, that was just so embarrassing. I remember, I remember, I think I told you this, I did, a terrible thing happened at a AFL Media Awards one year and I was sort of being president, had to cop the blame and I said, I rang Andrew Demetrio or he rang me and he was running the AFL and I said, oh, I feel dreadful about this and how are we going to fix it? And, and he said, don't worry, I, I paid Meatloaf half a million dollars. But the, my favourite ever was Judith Durham. She was wonderful and she's one of my favourites anyway and her rendition of the National Anthem and her performance was absolutely brilliant. And Julie Anthony used to get up most years and sing the anthem. She was what good. happened to her? Barry Crocker. He oh wasn't a Barry God. Crocker. He was really good. Corrie, look, it's, it's Queensland's, you know, in the in vogue. It's all the rage. Footy's going to be played up there, obviously, and the grand final's going to be in Brisbane. There was even a final on the Gold Coast last weekend. Did you go to Surface Paradise as a kid, and what's your key memory? Well, that's when we used to call it Surface Paradise, Cara, not the Gold Coast. Yes. Back in the day. (laughs) Well, Surface Paradise used to be beautiful. Now it's the worst part of the Gold Coast. It's been so funny to see footage of of, uh, your sporting colleague journalists with the background of the beach or the Chevron or whatever it is in the background because it does take me back because that's where we used to go for a few years in the spring or the September holidays. So I thought about was it buying a pair of bathers at Paula Stafford's Bikini Bar? Oh, that were they crocheted? Yeah. My sister got a crocheted I got pair. got a crocheted pair as well. <laughs> they were brown and cream, beautiful. Or my friend Sue Jacoby and her family, they stayed at the Tiki Village and we went there. That was rather exotic to go and visit her. But no, I would have to say, and I'm saying this on the 45th anniversary actually of my father's death, which is in a day or two, um, 
his last holiday, the last holiday we had was a couple of weeks before he died, the September school holidays. We were in Surface Paradise. We went to Margot Kelly's hibiscus room, which you went for, went to maybe once or twice, the children with the parents. I think the parents were there a lot and we had babysitters. But you had the prawn cocktail. I can't remember what main course was, but there was a piano player and they would play cocktail hits. And I remember dancing Quando, 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 and probably fly me to the moon with my dad, <laughs> who taught me how to foxtrot. What a lovely memory. And do you remember Margot Kelly's hibiscus room? Were you ever lucky enough? Well, that's my question to you, Caro. Do you, did you go to Surface Paradise and what's your key memory? Well, we did. And my, the main restaurant I remember is El Rancho's Barbecue, oh. where we went. And we all wore bibs. And I remember we've got a photo of my brother on the drums with... Um, Pedro or whatever his name was, who was the main sort of performing act at El Rancho's Barbecue, eating these massive sort of, I don't know whether we ate ribs or steaks or whatever, but it was so cool. The meter maids, obviously, um, all along that um, strip Caval yeah, Avenue, yeah. which is now just, oh, it's just so Tacky. disgusting. It, it was so lovely and beautiful. And, and the time, the la- I think the best holiday we had was with another family. We went to a beautiful old Queenslander on the beach that was really run down, but it was just oh, fabulous. Oh, knocked down now a 22-storey apartment building. Yeah. But mum and dad had their, and, uh, their um, honeymoon. Um, in Surface Paradise at um, the Ambassadors Hotel, which is no longer there, and we stayed there too. Oh, Kara, so many memories. It was just, it was a very special time, and we always felt when we were at Surface Paradise that we were somehow in Hawaii or California or something. Well, you know, as you know, I was back there in February for the Bridge Congress, and it's been cancelled next year, which is absolutely tragic. Corrie, what an enjoyable morning it has been, podcasting with you. Thank you, everyone, yet again, for all your correspondence, and thank you to Red Energy, 100 percent Australian owned electricity and gas. Thank you, as I said, to all of you listeners for giving us stars on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, because it helps others find us and it's the best way to share it with a friend. We have a weekly update if you like to join our mailing list and be the first to find out about our upcoming events, and there are some. Follow the links in the show notes. That is where you will find Corrie's Endive Endive salad recipe as well. With Endive, oh, yes, very <laughs> impressive. Um, and, and, of course, the Candied Walnuts. Thanks for your feedback and comments. Get in touch via Facebook or you can follow us on Instagram at Don't Shoot Pod and Twitter at Don't Shoot Pod. Thank you, Miss Jane, and to Clementine Donahue for additional social media support. And, Corrie? Don't shoot the messenger. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Thanks to Red Energy, powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Call 131 806 for real Aussie energy.